So in addition to being Transfiguration Sunday, it's also Super Bowl Sunday. So we got Broncos versus Panthers, and I won't ask you to divulge whose side you are on out there, but it is a big day, I know. So I got here in my hand this uh, stumpy little pencil. You probably can't even see it from where you're at out there. It is that small. It's a reminder of my recent trip to Haiti with our congregation servant mission team. It, truthfully, it's really a pencil in name only. You can't even sharp it anymore. It's too, too small to even fit into a pencil sharpener. The eraser's gone. Most of us would have chucked it long ago, but not in Haiti. Not in Haiti because in this, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, Everything gets reused, repurposed, recycled until you can't use it for anything anymore. And so this, this tiny little pencil, stubby as it is, well, it's still got some use in it, at least a little bit. It's really only a pencil a mother or, or a teacher could love, I think. So it's from the Village of Hope School, which we visit in, and so one of those 651 students there in kindergarten through grade 13, which is one grade beyond our grade 12 here, must have dropped this. So it's a reminder to me of the new neighbors that I met there in Haiti. People like Rob and Trish, directors of Village of Hope. People like uh, Lucian, the driver. Uh, please do not ever attempt to drive in Haiti. Get a driver. Uh, people like um, Gladys, whom I met at the Little Children of Jesus Orphanage. Our translators, Jennifer, Evans, Pierre. New, new neighbors in whom I saw the face of Jesus. Really and truly. So after only one week there, we had to pack up and depart to return home. And that's not always easy to do, is it? When you've been somewhere where you really know is where you need to be. So we will soon be entering that season of the year when lots of people will be relocating because of job changes, uh, taking you to new places, new, new homes. Some of you have already shared that this is going to be happening to you in, in the year ahead. And so there is this necessary departure that takes place as one chapter in life closes and a new one opens up. So on this final Sunday of the Epiphany season, we travel up the mountain with Peter and John and James. In heart and mind, we are with them up there on the mountain top as Jesus is transfigured before them. The appearance of his face was altered, his clothing became dazzling white, we're told. And those towering figures of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah representing God's law and the prophet flanking Jesus. 
And of all the gospel writers, Luke alone records that as Moses and Elijah were with Jesus, they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The original word for departure here is literally exodus. Jesus was about to make an exodus at Jerusalem. Jesus, the eternal word of God who became flesh and lived among us, who became our neighbor, he was facing his own departure. The departure of his earthly life when he would offer up his sinless life on the cross, on a hillside, outside of Jerusalem. So with this image before us as our serving Jesus, living in community, focus draws to a close today. The theme for preaching is necessary departure of our neighbor. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching, the hearing, and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. So, what's it like when a much-loved neighbor or friend has to make a necessary departure, leaving you behind? Well, we're happy for that person if the departure means uh, job promotion or it's for other positive reasons, but you know, it can still hurt, leaving a void in our lives. Yeah, sure, you know, we, we promise to stay in touch and that can happen more easily now than ever, but it's just not the same after their departure and they leave the orbit of our shared lives. Now, conversely, maybe you know what it's like to be on the other side when you're the one doing the departing, pulling up stakes and leaving friends and neighbors behind. So maybe this is why Peter said what he did up there on the mountaintop, pinching himself to make sure, you know, he was really awake. This wasn't just some dream, because we're told they were heavy with sleep up there, those disciples, after hearing Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about his departure, well, maybe it was just too much for Peter to take in. And so he blurted out, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three booths, three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So rather than think about that necessary departure of his teacher, his friend, his master, Jesus, well, let's just stay up here forever. That's tempting, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. It is. And we can't really be too hard on Peter. We wouldn't have done any better if we'd have been up there either. We probably would have said something even more outlandish than what Peter did. So whether it is Jesus' necessary departure or the departure of a good neighbor friend who lives near to us, we don't want to let go. We want to hold on to it with all our might. We don't want to release 
that person into the Lord's care and keeping. We want to hold on with all our might because it's what I want, right? And what I want may not be in accord with what the Lord wants, the greater plan the Lord has for my life and that of my neighbor or friend. I'm reminded of what a commencement speaker said years ago. I don't even remember where it was, but uh, commencement speaker up in front, all of the assembled graduates and families out there, and I, I remember word for word what this person said. He said, to leave this place is sad, to remain in this place would be tragic. Yeah, that's true. Jesus had a necessary departure to fulfill for us, for your sake and for mine. And at different points in life, we also have to make necessary departures. Maybe it's the departure of children leaving home. Maybe it's the departure of our own health. Maybe it's the departure of a loved one who leaves this world. But it's here on the mountaintop of transfiguration that the first part of Luke's gospel comes to this climax. Jesus' true identity is revealed. And chapter 9 of Luke's gospel is all about Jesus' identity. Earlier in chapter 9, Herod's perplexed. He can't figure out what's going on. He had John the Baptist beheaded, but he's thinking, is he raised from the dead? Who is this person running around doing all of these miracles? It's Jesus, not John. A little bit later then, Jesus asks his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And some say, well, Moses, Elijah, one of the prophets, varied answers. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And you know, that's a question we must answer also. Who do you say that Jesus is? And that's when Peter replies, you are the Christ of God. Now, Peter didn't fully understand what all of this meant. And in response, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Truth is that when Peter says Jesus is the Christ of God, Peter and the other disciples are thinking, glory, splendor, power. And that's when Jesus tells them to be silent. You see, Jesus points them to his cross because that's where his glory will be revealed. In suffering, in shame, in death, for you and for me. 
This is where Jesus' necessary departure will take him down the mountain of transfiguration into the valley of rejection and suffering and humiliation and then up another mountain, Mount Calvary, Golgotha, to give his life on the cross as payment for your sins and for mine the sins of all of his neighbors. So if there's any confusion about Jesus' identity, you know that's really resolved up there on top of the mountain of transfiguration. The Father's voice affirms who Jesus really is. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So if we are listening to Jesus, we will come to see and believe that Jesus' necessary departure, the necessity of his suffering and death, was not some random act of violence, not just another example of man's inhumanity and cruelty to man. No, this was God's own plan, divine plan to rescue and redeem all of us that we might be blessed with that full and abundant life which Jesus came to bring for you and for me and for all of our neighbors. Luke alone records up there on the mountaintop the disciples saw his glory but it's only once in Luke's Gospel that Jesus speaks of his glory. And it's after everything's over, the suffering, the death, resurrection, on that first Easter evening, Jesus meets up with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus to explain what has taken place. And he tells them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All this Jesus has done that we might be his neighbors. And if we are Jesus' neighbors, and by his grace we are, we're then neighbors to one another. And a little bit uh, later on in the service, we're going to watch a brief video clip that speaks of this. How God knits our lives together, neighbor to neighbor to neighbor, to bless one another. Oftentimes, we don't know how that all works. We don't even know how God connects us all, but God does. So whatever departures we may have in this life, necessary or otherwise, we turn them over to the Lord's care and keeping, entrusting ourselves and our neighbors into his hands. So in a larger sense, serving Jesus, living in community, it doesn't really end today. Far from it. 
It continues on, continues forward as we seek to follow Jesus and serve him by serving our neighbor in daily life. Up on the mountaintop and down in the valley. God help us to do this. For Jesus' sake, amen.